Episode 193 of the Bevan James Isles Show, 20 Behaviour Tricks and Tips. Radio two, welcome along to episode 193 of the Bevan James. I'll show you a fortnightly podcast on the behaviors that create a lifetime love of fitness so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Um, I'm back in the studios. I've actually had a holiday over the last couple of weeks. Joe and I went away to a place called Queenstown and another place called Tikapo in the South Island of New Zealand. Uh, if you ever come to New Zealand, those are two places that you do want to go to. They're pretty bloody stunning. I went skiing for the first time, which is a new thing for me, which uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, so it was kind of cool. Today's show is a Bevan show, so it's just me kind of sharing content with you. And, and basically, I was listening to, a, I've got a podcast I love to listen to called, I'm going to give it a plug because it's called The Rational Reminder. And it's a, it, now, it's a very much a deep, deep investing podcast. So it's a very deep, if you like investing in the share market and uh, you want to listen to guys who are real, and I love these guys because they're real evidence-based investors uh, and they interview some of the greatest thinkers in that area. Um, you can geek out on this. If you're not that interested in it, don't listen to it because it goes deep into the weeds. But it's a topic that I'm kind of fascinated in and uh, they do really great work. And they had a, had a, uh, they talked about this themselves, but they talked about a post uh, which was like the 22 nudging of behavior that helps people with financial planning. And it's interesting because, you know, this podcast is about the behaviors of fitness. You know, it's about getting fitness in place. And finances and fitness are funny and or aligned in some way because they're aligned in the way that they are two areas of life. That are, while outcome-wise may not necessarily seem so, but they are very much behavior-based things. And it's behavior-based things in lots of different kind of scales. So you've got the basic scale of like finances and things like budgeting. But then we have things like investing. And it's been really interesting in this last moment, looking to people making investment decisions because the world is so complicated and so confused right now. And many people are making poor investment decisions because either they're greedy or they're fearful. And so it's interesting watching the behaviors of these people in this time. And in their podcast, they basically read through it. I'm, I'm literally, I'm copying and pasting what they did because I, what they were reading, I thought, wow, that's really cool. And it's a di- you know, you guys are, are a different kind of audience. So basically they read this article from this guy who's a really top end financial advisor. And it was kind of like the 20 tips to nudge your clients towards making better decisions around their finances. And as I was going through this, I was just thinking, wow, this is also applicable to health and fitness. So I thought I'm going to share most of them with you and it'll be very much just a quick tip and a little bit of my insight into it. So I'm not going to spend much time talking before I get into it. So before I do get into the main gist of today's show, I want to share some of the patrons of the show. If you want to become a patron of the Bevan James Isles show, you go to bevanjamesisles.com, put your information Go to the, the podcast section, go support me, and just go through the process here. And when you do, you get a cool nickname, and you also just support me and what I am doing. And here are some of the people who are already patrons of the show. We have Dean, uh, the Cool Cube Cubie. We've got Rachel, Walking on Sunshine Debusk. We've got Anna, Do It Dungey, and is a bit of a rock star. We've got Anna, Amanda, sorry, super duper amazing Amanda Coleman-Watson. 
Wilson, sorry. And then we've got Ellie, float like a butterfly, sting like a fee brown. And Priscilla, love me tender king. These are all patrons of the show. They support me in what I do each time I release the show. So thank you to those people who are patrons. Again, if you want to be a patron, go to bevanjamesisles.com. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much it for now. Uh, let's get into the main gist of the show. Here we go. So as I was saying in the introduction, this is very much just a kind of lots of little tips kind of show today. So it's 20 tips from a financial advisor on how to nudge. And if you haven't heard of Nudge, it's a book that came out a few years ago. And I did a lot about it on this podcast when it came out. It was, I think it's by Richard Thatcher. I could be wrong. Um, but it's kind of, it's designed, it was kind of written for people who write policy. And when we write policy, often what people want is they want to influence decisions and so in writing policy this guy wrote this book called nudge and the whole idea was choice architecture how do you help people make good decisions or make an architecture that helps people make better decisions and it's so that term nudge is kind of about that and this uh, financial advisor kind of talked about 20 tips around this so i'm going to quickly talk to you through kind of these tips so, and some of them will be pretty quick and some of them will be a bit more in depth with first of all take the long term view now what was really interesting what I found really fascinating about this and this is where they're talking about with finances but I'm wondering if it actually would work with everyday people as well so one thing that when I do sales so in my running business one of the techniques they talk about is called future proofing and so one, if you go to my Get Up To Five website, on that website, one of the questions I have is, imagine what your life would be like if you had this. So on my website, it's, imagine what your life would be like if you could run 5Ks. And that's a really important thing to ask somebody who's thinking about joining, joining our program. Because in their mind, I'll start to see the benefits of of the thing that they want. So if you're someone who's never exercised for a long time, maybe overweight, maybe in not a great place, and you think, what would your life be like if you could run 5Ks? It starts to paint a picture of what you can become. And that's what this is about here. But what was really fascinating when they did this section here, they were talking about how if you show somebody, nowadays, you know, you get those apps on your phone and you can make yourself age. So you can, you know, you, there, was a, there was a big one that came out about six months ago that kind of spread over the internet like crazy. And you put a photo in and it makes you look like the 80-year-old version of yourself. Well, if you can show somebody a picture of themselves as an old version of themselves. Now, admittedly, this is with finances, but I'm, I wonder if it happens with health as well. And you say, what decisions can you make to help this person have a better life? People make much better decisions around their finances. So it's really interesting. If you can, in moments of making decisions, if you can think of that future self, there's a higher chance you'll make better decisions around finances. But I imagine you'll also make better decisions around your health and fitness as well. So like imagine, you know, I, I remember a technique I did years ago with NLP and it was... I had to meet the oldest version of me and the oldest version of me had to give me some wisdom in that moment. Uh, and it was a similar type of thing. So when you are thinking about making decisions, what would your future self want you to make is a good strategy to think about. So that's the first. There's going to be 20 tips here, so I'm going to kind of fly through these. The second tip, and this is again, again, I'm going to, I won't say this every time, but this was written for finances and I'm going to transfer it to health. But he's so he's, 
Name your dollars. So instead of naming your bank accounts just as, you know, account number one and account number two, what they're talking about is it can be something simple as something as labeling your account as the desired purpose of where that money is going to go towards. So it might be the early retirement account, the freedom account. Now, we're not thinking about this of health and fitness. I'm thinking about naming your diet. So if you are going to go on some kind of diet and you want to lose some weight or even an exercise program, so instead of just saying a 5K running program, you could call it a program of um, a healthier, fitter, more energetic me program. Or uh, instead of saying it's the Atkins diet or the paleo diet or whatever is the trend right now, you could say, although, you know, I could probably just find a diet plan, um, you could say it is the um, the leaner, meaner, more healthier version of me diet. So you can just see how giving it a name can be just a, a different way of looking at it that can help you be more inspired to make better decisions. Tip number three, and I really like this one, client-directed problem-solving. And what he's saying here is that most of us are best at solving our own problems. And I, and I kind of want to take this one a little bit further because ultimately what I, I think what we want to do is we want to spend time trying to figure out what problems we need to solve. And so really that's probably the first thing is when you're, let's say you're trying to lose weight, what are the real problems you're trying to solve? Like, sure, you probably want to eat some less food. That's pretty obvious. But really, there's lots of problems, isn't there? There's the emotional problem. There's the planning problem. There is the food problem. There's the food choices problem. There's the social problem when you go out for dinner and you eat much more than you need to. So first of all, identify the problems that you need to solve when you're walking down this pathway. But then I want you to think about is, What's the solution that you need to come up to your, with your problems? Now, a lot of the time, you can solve those problems yourself. You can trust that you can solve those problems yourself. Now, sometimes you need advice and you need support along the way. And when you feel you can't solve the problems, that's when you would look for that. But ideally, you are looking to solve the problems. And he's kind of saying a lot of people already have the answers within themselves. So that's something you want to think about. So just something to think about on that front. Number four, discrepancy between the behaviors and the goal. So he talks about a method called the Colombo method. And it's what you do is you say, you say you want X, but it seems like you're doing Y. Can you help me understand? So it's kind of a good counseling question. You say you want to lose weight, but it seems like you keep eating more than you should. So can you help me understand this? And what we're trying to do is we're trying to find where's the disconnect? Because you're saying that you know you, you would rather be 5 kgs lighter, or you're saying you want to run, or you're saying you want to sleep better, but you keep staying up late watching TV every night. So can you help me understand why this is happening? And if we kind of go back to that last one of you are good at solving your own problems, if anything, I probably should have put these in, around the other way, because this question of you say you want X, but you're doing Y, help me understand, is helping you understand your problem. So you say you want X, but you seem to be doing Y. You say you want to sleep better, but you seem to sit in front of the TV and fall asleep in front of the TV. So why is this happening? Can you help me understand? And then once you start to get that understanding, what are you doing? You're trying to see, you're seeing the problem, aren't you? And then you go back to, well, if this is the problem, 
what are some solutions that you can come up to to solve that problem? So that's an interesting one. Number five, and this is really interesting, uh, a behaviour contract. Again, this is with finances, but they found that research suggests that if you put a contract in place with both parties signing the contract, people are more accountable and have a much higher chance of maintaining great behaviours. So let's say you want to lose weight or you're seeing a personal trainer or... <clears throat> I don't know, you're, you're trying to get sleep or whatever it is. If you have someone who you've got some accountability with, so it might be your personal trainer, it might be your diet group, it might be just somebody else who's trying to lose weight at the same time, and you guys actually write a contract and sign it, research has shown that it's an effective tool at keeping you on your right path. Now, the thing about when you read these, you know, I'm doing a very tip-based show today, the thing about this is often people hear these things and they don't apply them. So often, you know, you may have heard of write a contract, but you don't apply it. And I'll give you a good example from my life today, and, and I'm, I'm big on application. So if you've listened to the show for a long time, you know that I have this thing called my Bevan book, and it's when I get up in the morning, I read my Bevan book. And it's a book that's a, it's a, to remind me of who I am and so on, all the rest of it. And for a long time, I thought to myself, I should add music to this because I think music brings emotion to it. But I didn't apply it. And then in the last couple of weeks, probably the last three or four weeks, I've been doing that. So in the morning, I get out of bed. I used to do my Bevan book in bed, but I decided, no, I'll get out of bed. I have breakfast. And then I come into my office. I put my Bevan book on my, it's a PDF. So I put my Bevan book on my big screen in my computer. And it's just so the whole screen is my Bevan book. I put on one of my favorite songs, which is My Chemical Romance, The Black Parade. I love it because the song represents we should always fight for the small man. And I, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's one of the greatest rock songs of all time in my mind. I put that song on and then I worked through my Bevan book. Now, my Bevan book was a great tool before this. But by putting the music on, there's an emotional engagement that I go through when I put this on, when I go through this process. So my Bevan book, which was already a good tool, has now gone through to the next level. This behavior contract is one of those things that people say, yeah, it's a good idea, but they never actually do. Now, research has proven that it works. So if you want to be better and you want more accountability, actually do it. You know, put the music on and listen to the song when you're doing your Bevan book or, you know, using your tools. But if you really want to lose weight or if you really want to add exercise or if you really want to be a higher level that demands more of yourself, Putting a contract in place is one of those things that helps you do it. So, again, don't just think, oh, that's cool here, Bevan, but you never apply. Uh, number one, two, three, four, five, six is self-monitoring. Uh, I believe this is the greatest, one of the greatest tools of all time. Uh, I know in my last podcast I talked about the awareness tools and I've got a lot of feedback. People, they, You know, it was the interview that I did or someone did with me and uh, I talked about awareness tools and I got like so many emails and comments on from people in my Facebook messenger feed selling, saying that awareness really hit a note with them. And that's what self-monitoring is. It's that ability to see the decisions that you're making so things like budgeting things like a food diary things like a sleep you know now we've got all these apps that make it so easy to self-monitor you know self-monitoring just helps us make better decision uh number i haven't put numbers here one two three four five six seven uh eight is education educate yourself in the area that's pretty obvious uh number eight is 
Anticipate regret. This is a really good one, eh? Help your client, here's what he wrote here. Help your client imagine the regret of not being able to achieve various financial goals as an integral part of making the goals more salient. So what he's saying here is, really start to think about what will be your regret of not of, of not achieving your financial goals. I have the strategy I use when I do sales. It's called the cost-cost strategy. The cost-cost strategy is I'll talk to somebody about their health and fitness, and I, I spend a lot of time gaining an understanding of where they're at. So I'll just say, hey, where's your fitness at? And then they'll talk to me, and I'll do use a lot of reflective listening and a lot of recapping, and, and so I get a lot of understanding where they know that I understand what it's like to be them. And then you, you say, what's the cost of you not making change? So, you know, like let's say you're not doing nothing, you're overweight, you're unfit, you're lacking energy. So I say, what's the cost of this? And they say, well, you know, I'll, I'll put on more weight, I'll probably feel bad about myself and so on and so on. And then what you say is you add the second cost. And then you say, well, what's the cost if you stay on this path for five years from now? Now, that's a really big moment in somebody's life because it's really interesting. When I do a sales call, I don't do a lot of them, but when I do, people want to join my product. You've still got to convince them to do that. And so what you, you know, the cost-cost strategy is a really good one because when you say, well, what's the cost of you this? And, and they say, well, my, you know, overweight, lacking energy, feeling bad about myself. And you say, well, what's the cost in five years if you're in this place? And, and I just ask the question and there's always a long pause because when there's a long pause, they're really realizing, I don't like that path. I really don't like that path. And so the cost-cost strategy is a really good way to you to think about, like, what's the cost of you not sleeping? But what's the cost of you like, don't sleep for five years? What's the cost of you not confronting a hard thing in a relationship? What's the cost of you don't do that for another three or four years? And you can anticipate regret, and that then makes you think, maybe I need to make a choice now. And what's really interesting, and as a sales strategy, when I do that with people, they often go, you know what, I do need to join your product. And obviously I want the sale as a product, but I, I know our product can help them. So that's something to think about. Systemization. Now, this is again a bit of a financial. This is, must be number eight or nine. I'm, I'm losing numbers because I didn't write them down. But systemization. If you could use one tool in the behavior toolkit, this is what they've written here. This would be my choice. We systemize over, uh, systematically over, overestimate willpower and discipline, both of which are rendered unnecessary in the face of automation. Automation takes away the human tendency to be lazy and have status quo prone uh, and makes it work to our advantage. Now, again, financially, that makes sense. So what he's saying is, instead of thinking, I need to save for investing, you'd have a system within your bank that just takes... 10% out of your pay each week, puts it in and then automatically invests it every three months. So it's kind of got that dollar cost averaging thing, which is an investing thing. Well, I would say you could do that with your food planning. So, you know, like willpower is not good when you're tired. But if you plan, if you let's say you go on a Sunday afternoon, you plan and you, you know, you do a big afternoon cook where you cook all your lunches, all your breakfasts, and your weekly meals. So when you come time to choose those meals, you've made healthy choices, you've made a mas- a ma- enough of them. Now it's going to take effort, but you've systemized your choices. Because when you get home from work, that meal's there. When you get to lunch at work, that meal's there. Systemization just makes you not have to think about it. It removes negotiation. And as he says here, it takes away the human tendency to be lazy and status quo prone. 
And that's what I want to think about. Now, admittedly, in the financial world, systemization is often a lot easier because computers make that really easy. But for a lot of us, we can create effort times in our week that create systemization. And that, that kind of diet one is a really good way to think about it. The next one is goal setting. I'm not going to go too much into goal setting because that kind of makes sense. Uh, the next one is... Uh, look for emotional triggers. And what he's got here is we all have triggers that put us in suboptimal place when it comes to making decisions. For some, it may be comparative greed. Now, again, this is a financial thing. But let's just go back to that statement because it's pretty good. We all have triggers that put us in suboptimal place when it comes to making decisions. So, for some people, it can be a comment from somebody else. Like I've got a client I work with and when they're doing really well and someone praises on them, it actually builds pressure for this person. So let's say this person wants to lose some weight and they've lost some weight and a friend comes up and says, oh, well, you're doing really well. I'm impressed with your weight loss. It actually creates pressure for this person. And what happens is this pressure kind of makes them feel that they can't maintain it. So they go to this place of, I don't know if I can keep doing this. So... Now, it's really, this is a really funny situation because the person who's telling this person that they've lost weight is coming from a place of praise. It's like, hey, I think you're doing really well. But unfortunately for this person, it, it's an emotional trigger. And it's an emotional trigger that builds pressure. And what happens with this pressure is this pressure takes them to a place where they just don't think they can maintain it. And so this person needed to learn, and that's what we worked on, they needed to learn how to respond when people gave them praise. Because that's an emotional trigger, an emotional trigger that leads me down a bad path. So if we know that there's emotional triggers that can lead us down a bad path, well, what we then think about is what is the strategy that we can use to be aware of those moments to make sure we don't go there. And that's what I do with my client. So the strategy we use with my client is we said, okay, first of all, when somebody makes that comment, I want to think about their intent. So their intent is a nice, good intent. They are coming to me within a place and they're trying to be nice because they see that I've made progress in an area that's important to me. Okay, so I saw their intent. Then the second thing we did is we said, why are they giving me that compliment? Now, the reason they're getting that compliment is because of the behaviors you've done that have helped you lose weight. So some of those are nutritional behaviors, some of those are looking after the emotions, some of them are food planning. So what we're doing is the compliment I've got is because of the behaviors that I've done. So it's not a pressure thing. It's just identifying the reason I got the praise. Then after that, we said, okay, well, why... Um, so... The reason you got the praise is because you lost weight because you did good behaviors. Can I maintain those behaviors and is it easy? The answer is yes. I've been able to maintain it for a period of time. So it's easy for me to maintain those behaviors. So what, and then the fourth step was, what do I need to focus on now to make sure I maintain the behaviors that have gotten me to this place? So it was A, what was the what was your intent? It was a good intent. B, why did I get the compliment? Because of the behaviors that I've done. Were the behaviors easy and were I able to maintain them? Yes. What do I need to focus on now moving forward? Maintaining those behaviors. So you can see what we've done here. Uh, there's an emotional trigger. Someone gives me a compliment. That could take this person down a pathway that is going to lead to them actually putting weight back on. 
because pressure, I can't maintain this, they go back to bad behaviors. But because we could identify the emotional triggers, then we put a strategy in place that allowed them to deal with those moments. And then they could stay on the pathway that helped them get the desired result that they wanted. So that's why understanding your emotional triggers. So as you listen to this right now, and you think about the areas that are important to you, or that you're trying to grow in, let's say weight loss, what are your emotional triggers? If we're saying not going to sleep, what are your emotional triggers? That's a good one, eh? Because often your emotional triggers is things like work, stress, you know, all those types of things. So how are you going to offload that so you can get to sleep? What about motivation for movement? What about the hard conversation with somebody in your life? All of these types of things are things we need to identify our emotional triggers so we can develop those strategies. Uh, reducing negative prompts. This is a really good one, reducing negative prompts. So another one of this can be scales in the weight loss journey. So scales in the weight loss journey is, scales is a really hard one. Because for some people, scales can be a really good motivator. So that they jump on the scales and it's like I'm moving in the right direction and it's giving me motivation. And I think scales is something that, such an individual tool because for some people that can be a real you know a real motivator i'm gonna be honest i never jump on the scales in the last 10 years of my life i've probably been on the scales four times like i don't know my weight i i know traditionally i sit somewhere between 78 and 82 that's kind of my weight i've been on the last 20 years of my life um but i just don't scales i just, I just don't use them some people they can be a real motivator but some people they can be a real negative thing and they can just jump on the scales and feel bad about themselves. And the problem with a weight loss journey is it's not a one linear line journey. It's 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 an up and down journey. You're going to have moments where you don't lose weight. And so if jumping on the scales and one day you go slightly back creates a negative prompt for you, maybe for you the scales aren't a good tool. So start to learn what your negative trunks are, trump, prompts are. And kind of like the ones I was doing earlier around the discrepancy between behavior and goals and problem solving, I would probably flip this around in the other way. So I'd say, start to understand your negative prompts and then look toward your emotional triggers because that would work really well. Uh, the next one is behavior substitution. So instead of this, I'll do that. So let's just say in a weight loss journey, you know that there's some foods that are treaty foods that you just can't have. So you might know that if you open a bag of chips, you're going to eat the whole bag of chips. But one of the reasons you have the bag of chips is because you do like to have a treat. And I, I, I think diets that suppress treats aren't necessarily a good strategy because all of us want to have that moment where we go, I deserve that. You know, all of us want a little bit of that. So, but the bag of chips is too much for a weight loss journey. So in that moment where you feel you need a treat, you might go, do you know what? I do like a little bit of sweet stuff, but I'm never going to eat the whole packet of biscuits. So for me, I'm not so much of a sweet tooth. I like a bit of sweet. So for me, instead of having a bag of chips when I feel like I need a treat or I feel like I deserve a reward, I'm going to have a biscuit. And so you're substituting a bad behavior to one that's a better better option for you in that way. The next one is what we're calling habit formation and shaping. Now, this is a really important thing because, and I, I won't go into too much detail on this one because let's be honest, 
this show has been about this stuff for a long time, all this habit stuff. But really what you're saying here is when you're trying to create a habit, you're not looking for bounds. You're not looking for jumps. You're not looking to go from one extreme to another. You're just looking for incremental steps. So as you're looking to create a habit, like again, that Bevan book story I told you earlier today, I have a habit in place. I'm just looking to evolve it a little bit. So what's my incremental steps that add on this habit is something to think about. The next one is what he calls habit, uh, sorry, behavior rehearsal. Uh, and this is a really interesting one, behavior rehearsal. So this is a little bit when we think of the one, the show I did on action triggers. And action triggers is that thing where trigger A triggers B and so on. And they talked about how the best way to overcome an action trigger. So it's that thing of you go to the supermarket and you always grab a Snickers bar when you're in the checkout. Um, and so the best way to actually stop that behavior is to kind of in your mind rehearse the better outcome. So it might be to reverse yourself not picking up Snickers bar and just going straight through the payment process. And I'm a big believer in this kind of stuff. I'm a big believer that if you can prepare the moment before you experience the moment, you're going to have a much higher chance of success. And not just in when we think about behaviors in regards to bad behaviors, for those people who like to train hard, for me, if I'm going to go out and do a hard run, one of the best things I can do is have a moment where I prepare my mind for that hard moment. So behavior rehearsal is about seeing the behaviors that you're going to do in the moment, you and with seeing the decisions that you want to make, and inside your head, you practiced making those decisions. Now, you could even make it an external thing. You could even practice. I know, again, it sounds silly, but it probably works. You could practice like literally like you're walking through the aisle, not picking up a Snickers bar. I know, sounds silly. I get it, it sounds silly. But I imagine it would work. Uh, next up is consider past outcomes. This is a really important, actually, and, and I want to do a whole show on this, but I have a client I'm working with right now, and... Um, one thing we've discovered is that the, they often have a really good intent behind some of the, the, the ambitions they set for themselves. So they, okay, okay. I, I was kind of thinking I would do another show on this, but I might go deep into this now. So for example, at the beginning of this year, this person wanted to read the amount of books to the height of the year. So let's say, I don't know, their height is 30 books. So the aim for this year was to read 30 books by the end of this year. Now, the thing about this person's life is they are a high-end career person. So a very important role, very demanding life. They've got children and they like the activity. So when they sat down to set this goal of reading their book height within a year, the intent was great. That was a really great intent. Because why did they want to do that? Because they wanted to grow. They wanted to develop themselves. That was a really great intent. I, I, you know, I want to develop myself. And, and what I need is motivation to do this. And the idea of reading enough books this year to get that done is a great motivator. The problem was, it's a really bad strategy. Because this person just does not have the time to read that much in a year. And so when we think about considering past outcomes... If this person looked back on that, they would then have a better insight into that's not a very good strategy because my past, when I tried to do something like this, it didn't happen. So when you look back on past outcomes, did your approach work? And if your approach didn't work on the past, 
What do you need to tweak about your approach that's going to help you work in the future? So one thing I'm working, and, and with this client, this is kind of a common theme that they have in their life, that in their times of wanting to get better, they just shoot too high in all areas. So it just leads to this kind of constant feeling not you like you're not getting anywhere. So when we've, and, and this whole idea of the intent is great, but the strategy sucks, is something we've been working with them. So we kind of said to them, well, if your intent is you want to grow and reading is a part of that, for the rest of this year, what's realistic based on the time that you have? Now, when we looked at his diary, he probably has probably realistically an hour, maximum 90 minutes to read a week. So within that, in the next four months of this year, he's probably got two, at best, three books in front of him, depending on the size of the book and how fast he reads. But that's a much better desired outcome than trying to read your books and just feeling bad about yourself. And he, one thing that was really fascinating, he said he had actually all the books beside his bed to his height, and his wife said, get rid of them. But the thing about the books beside his bed just created guilt, because every night when he went to bed, he wasn't reading the books. So when you consider the past outcomes, where are the learnings for you in there? And how can you tweak it so you are better in the future? Another strategy I won't go into too much detail was the pros and cons, which kind of makes sense. Um... Comparative imagination of future outcomes. Now we've talked about future outcomes and what we're just saying here, and it's a little bit like that cost-cost, but that if there are two pathways, what do they look like? So investing one's a really interesting one because if we use investing and uh, investing is, you know, if I don't invest today because I'm worried and the market goes up by so many percentage over a period of time, what's the difference in the outcome? Well, that's really fascinating because it can be quite a lot of money. Actually, here's a good one. So compound interest with young people. One of the most important lessons around money you can teach a young young person, a young adult, is compound interest. And I actually, okay, so I did this with my daughter. So my daughter, I'm really proud of my daughter. She's talking about saving for her first house and she should be able to buy, if she wants to buy her first house by 24 and, and it's May next year and she's, She's going to do it. She's going to, and what's really cool is she's going to do it without our help. We don't have to give her any money. She saved hard, and she's going to do it. And my daughter's done really well with money. And one of the reasons was because when she was about 18, 19, I pulled out the compound interest calculator. And I said to her, babe, and she was just getting her first job, so I was saying, if you can start a saving habit right now, and you can start investing a little bit of money each week, by the time you are... Let's say I said to a year to save $100 a week uh, and you could get an 8% return in your adult life. And then I said, but if you wait till you're 30, which most people don't start investing till the later, they might get a house, but most people don't probably get their first, nowadays, a lot of young people don't get their first home until their late 20s and they don't start investing till later in life. If you wait that 10 years, Here's the difference. And with a compound calculator, the difference was, for example, if she just did $100 a week for the rest of her life and got like an 8% return, when she was 65, it was, I don't know, I, can't, I don't know off the top of my head, but it was something like, let's say it was worth $3 million. If she waited till she was 30 to do this, that was only worth about $1.2 million. So the, the extra 10 years... No, it was even less. It was like 800000 The extra 10 years of that compound interest was massive for her in the long term. Now, when I did that to her, she was like, oh, well, Dad, I need to start investing now. 
And that was a really important moment because what I did is I showed her two different futures. I said to her, if you do this now, here's the benefit in the long term. And what's really cool is she's about to buy her first house in the next moment of her life. And it's because she made that decision five years ago. Now, if she hadn't have done that, she, would, she wouldn't be buying a house right now. And her future is way different because of that. That's conversation and that got her into her saving habit. There's a massive difference in my daughter's life. Like hugely different. And all I did was showed her two different futures. I showed her a future where she started a good habit. And I showed her a future where she didn't. And because I showed her those futures, it was pretty obvious what choice she had to make. And it kind of goes back to that cost-cost thing I talked about before. You know, when you say to someone, well, what's your future look like in five years if you don't make this? So imagining a two different futures is a really good one. The second to last one is framing, and I love this. So this was a financial one. He talked about framing. And in the book, which is called Why Smart People Make Big Money Mistakes and How to Correct Them, uh, which was by Belsky and Geovich. Uh, uh, they shared this framing around finances, and it was really cool. So what they said was, they said to people, do you think you could save 20% of your wealth or your income? And most people responded, no. But when they said to them, do you think you could live off 80% of your current income? Most people said yes. It's fascinating when you think about it, isn't it? When you ask people, can you save 20%? They say no. But when you can live off 80%, they say yes. Now, again, that's a massive thing when you think about it, isn't it? Because that switches a behavior. So what you want to do is when you think about, and, and I haven't read this book, so I can't really judge, but um, Alan Carr's, is it Alan Carr's um, 30 Days to Quit Smoking? And basically, I bought it for a friend of mine, and I was going to read it, and I never got around to reading it, but basically, he just said that was the whole thing about that book. It was just all reframing. You're not giving up smoking. What you're doing is you're gaining. So you're not giving up smoking. You're gaining more energy. You're gaining health. So when you think about weight loss, don't think about, I've got to lose weight. Think about, do you think you could gain more energy in your life? So what you're doing is you're reframing your requests of your clients. This is what he's got here. Ensure that you're framing the requests of your clients in a manner that is empowering, positive, and suggestive of their capability. So that's just, you know, when you frame it, frame it in a way that it's what you're going to be gaining and what you're moving towards. Really good one there. And then the last one is to identify yourself as a role model. And it's actually a really cool one. And, and, and I've talked that a lot with my beginner runners. One of the most, there's two powerful moments. One, they see themselves as a runner. But B, when they see themselves helping other runners. And what's really cool is someone comes along and does my beginner running group. The first time they do it, you know, it's a pretty scary journey. And then they run, and they run 5Ks, and they see themselves as a runner, and it's really powerful. But then when they come back to the next group, they want to share with the new people. They're becoming a bit of a leader. They're becoming a bit of a role model. They've learned the lessons these people are going to have. So they want to support and encourage these people. So when you self-identify as a role model, what you tend to find is you are more accountable to your own behaviours. You know, for me as a fitness professional, when I go on holiday, I've got to keep my fitness up because I'm a fitness role model. So like Joe and I have just been on holiday for two weeks. I just didn't sit on my butt the whole two weeks. 
I did, you know, I didn't do as much because I wanted to unwind, but I still kept activity in my life because I'm a fitness role model. And that's something to think about as well. So when we think about that, identifying yourself as a fit, or not a fitness role model, but as a role model in your area, that you could end up being a role model helping other people can help you to be motivated to be accountable to make great decisions in those areas yourself. So those are the 20. I'll quickly go through them again. Uh, take the long-term view. Name your dollars, which is name your diet or your plan. Um, create your uh, trust that you can solve problems. Look between the discrepancies between your behaviors and your goals. That, that, that's that thing of say you want X, but it seems you're doing Y. Um, create the behavior contract. Self-monitor. Educate. Anticipate regret. Systemization. Goal setting. Look for your emotional triggers. Also reduce your negative prompts. There's things like the scales. Create a behavior substitution. Instead of this, I'll do that. Create incremental change to create habits. Behavior reverse a rehearsal. Uh, consider past outcomes, pros and cons, comparative imagination of future outcomes, framing, you know, it's that you, know, you can save 80%, oh sorry, you can live off 80%, and then lastly, seeing yourself as a role model. As I was saying earlier, these are all great little tools, but they're great tools if you apply them. So now I've given you a lot today, but maybe what you want to do is you want to go, of these that Bevan mentioned today, I'm going to choose one and I'm going to practice it for the next period of time. Okay, that's my challenge to you. Don't just be, oh, that's cool ideas, Bevan. Actually practice it. So that you actually start applying. And maybe, you know, you might start doing, I don't know, the framing. You're going to practice framing things differently in your life. And then as you do that over the next period of time, that's what you can really dig deep into. So um, then after that, and you're framing things well, then you can shift into another way. So interesting stuff. Uh, that so thank you to the Rational Reminder podcast for letting me know about this because I think there's a lot in there. So as always, if you practice these things, you'll be that higher version of yourself. Rightio team, so that's today's show pretty much done and dusted. I will be back in a couple of weeks from now with an interview. I've actually lined one up, so I need to line up an interview. I've got some couple people who I would think would be a good interview, so I'll get on to them. Uh, if you want to support the show, there's a few ways you can support the show. First of all, the one way is to become a patron, and it's just where you put some of your finances my way to support me and what I'm doing. Uh, all the patron money literally goes towards supporting the show, so the cost of the show, um, you know, just the patrons really are important. And if you are a patron, thank you so much. Another way to support the show is to go on to a podcatcher and... Um, you know, like iTunes, I am on Amazon now, Amazon's just released their podcast, uh, Spotify, any of those podcatchers, and just put uh, some feedback on um, what I'm, you know, on this podcast, and just, you know, give us feedback, put a review on there, that already helps as well, telling your friends about it, and sharing on and on social media. One other thing I've been doing recently is been doing some short videos on Instagram and Facebook, so if you want to get those, I've kind of, I try to aim them to be about four to six to seven minutes long, kind of, you know what I do, kind of what I do in a video format, so if you want to check those out, you can book, follow me on Instagram, just look up Bevan James Isles, or on Facebook, the same thing. Anyway, I'm going to get out of there, I've been working a long day today, it's the end of my day, the sun is shining, I need to get out and get some fresh air and get on my bike, so I'm going to get on my bike and go for a little bit of a bike ride, and then I'll call it a day, so uh, as always, keep being you, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, thanks so much for your time.